You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Fay, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go, you can stand and shout your eager, do whatever you like. You'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. This is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly, mic drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. Carl Mullenberg has produced more than 70 shows worldwide and won 13 Tony Awards. Just a few of his Broadway credits include Spring Awakening, Hair, Death of a Salesman, Pippin, All the Way, Dear Evan Hansen, Angels in America, The Band's Visit, Oklahoma, Town, Company, and on and on and on. His memoir, Broadway and Spirituality as a Path to Survival, debuts on October 1st. Welcome, Carl. Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you. Let's talk about your lightning strikes moment and so much congratulations on the debut of your book. What what inspired your path to getting into theater? Well, I definitely had a when lightning strikes moment that was perhaps the most important day of my life. Uh, I need to set it up just yes. a, little, a little bit before, so you understand why it was so important. Uh, but I, unluckily, at the time in the early 1980s, was just beginning to realize that I was gay. I, I, had, I had literally just come out. And when the very first test came out, I shockingly tested positive uh, with very limited experience. So as you know, at that time, it was it was very much a death, it seemed like a death sentence. I, I had so many people um, in very sick, immediate conditions, passing away, being treated as pariahs. Uh, it, it was really, really a difficult period. And I essentially more or less prepared myself for what may be the worst event, but in the meantime, continued 
working, which at that time was in an investment banking career. So about 10 years later, my T cells had dropped precipitously. Those are the immune helper cells. And, and I contracted my first opportunistic infection, which was really severe. I was in the hospital for quite a time. It wasn't clear that I would make it through it. And then came out of there and was in home IV treatment for a while. I went through a lot of rest and then took several spirituality courses or teachings that we can talk about later. But after that, I decided I had, had not had the chance to travel with my investment banking career being so grinding in the long hours. So one of the trips I took was to France, and I was sitting on the banks of the Loire River. And if, if you don't mind, I'd love to read you an excerpt from that chapter that sure. I wrote. Yes. The, the year is 1997, and I was sitting on the banks of the Loire River in France. It was mid-morning, and the sun was warm, but the breeze was fresh and cool. I was meditating all by myself in this unbelievably beautiful and tranquil location. As I looked out over the river, the sun in a clear blue sky was shining down on the river. It created a glistening, sparkling effect immediately above the river. The streaks or boats of reflecting sunlight were then coming toward me almost mystically or supernaturally. I think we have to call this when sunbeam strike instead of when lightning strike. Rowers were passing by smoothly on a completely quiet day, except for many birds. At this point, I had no idea what I was going to do with the rest of my life. It was a blank slate, and I had not painted on it at all. I was simply thrilled to be in this exact moment. But little did I know it was about to become the most important and meaningful event spiritually that I would ever experience. Suddenly I heard a deep male voice in my head, as strong as if the person were sitting two feet away from me. I realized after a few minutes that it was a higher being speaking directly to me. A conversation went on for over 15 minutes of amazement and bliss, after which I ran to my hotel to write in my diary the entire message before I would forget it. The summary of what the higher being told me was that I should not give up. I was destined, despite all odds, to have a long life ahead of me. In that life, I would be loved and supported by many friends, and I would love and give back to them equally. God told me that I was to use that long life to create more beauty in the world. I was here for a reason. I was told that the reason would come to me and it was in the arts. I contemplated what path I would take to create more beauty and joy in the world and images of theater appeared to me. It was then that I decided when I returned home that I would pursue a path to learning to help bring beauty through theater to audiences. And 
I guess I've yeah. always sensed that there's a divine presence that exists around all of us, and and we can choose to be sensitive to listening to it. And sometimes it's in a breeze, or sometimes it's in nature, or a bird. But but I think this was the major sign that was telling me yeah. how I should go forward, and it was it was definitely my epiphany. <laughs> Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's extraordinary about this story is that here you returned to New York and then you began to study at the Commercial Theater Institute, right? Um, that, you know, a lot of people would say, okay, I hear this sign, but you actually did something, something very specific and made it happen. Can you talk about that, implementing this dream? implementing well, it all. I always can't come back and say, well, now I'm automatically a theater producer when you have absolutely no idea yeah. what that entails. <laughs> so you're right. I took the 14-week CTI class, which was very informative. Um, maybe even more importantly, it uh, allowed me to meet some experienced lead producers who came in to help teach the class, and it gave me a network of peers they were all in the same position as me going out into the world to get into theater productions. I also found myself some mentors and I started literally immersing myself in as much theater as possible and reaching out to the most prolific lead producers. Uh, obviously, when you start out, you're not leading a show, you're a co-producer as one of the team. And uh, I also think you can't learn theater through classes or through books or just talking about a show. You literally just have to throw yourself into it and you learn on the fly. It's, it's almost by osmosis, I think. And every single show has its own set of unique challenges. You know, some, something inevitably is going to go awry that you need to address as, as a team. And each show has its own demographic that, that you need to find and its own, its own way of, of working the relationship between the director and the cast and uh, talking with the creative team. So you literally learn by being part of a show. And I discovered also that I, I'm one of those 
I don't know if it's a type A personality or what, but I discovered once I really knew that I wanted to do this. Originally, I thought it would be a hobby, you know, something I would do a little bit that I could still rest a lot and, and ensure that my health you know, stayed more stable. I couldn't do that. <laughs> once, I, once I was on one show, as you mentioned earlier, I started, started doing more and more and more, and it didn't stop. What's extraordinary is that literally out of the gate in your book, you talk about the first two shows, right? Do I have Spree Awakening and Wicked? I mean, my goodness, talk about out of the gate. How did you, okay, can you talk about how you got onto those shows? How, how you said, okay, I'm going to attach my, I'm going to hitch my wagon to Spree Awakening, that was your first show, and be part of this. And where was the show at that point when you got on board? Spring Awakening uh, did its trial at the Atlantic Theater, yeah. and I live right near there, actually, and, and yeah. often a subscriber. So I went to see Spring Awakening and was completely mesmerized by it. Oh. Everything about the show was beautiful. Yeah. The, you know, from the Duncan Sheik score to having the privilege of seeing a cast that were not well known at the time, but people like Jonathan Groff, Leah Michelle, uh, John Gallagher Jr., Gideon Glick, Lily Cooper, and there are lots of others that were absolutely brilliant that early in their career, and you knew they were going to be discovered and have an amazing life not only in theater but film and tv so i i thought i have i have to be part of this show uh and i searched out the lead producer and and got on the co-producing team and it's it's interesting because the show obviously has some dark elements to it it you know it has suicide it has abortion it has repression by teachers and, and families. So I think people were a little bit worried how it would be received and whether it was a little too dark or too um, had too many topics that would be, would be off limits or, or not received well. And uh, as a result, there were there were a lot of producers on the show. I think Michael Rito to this day still laughs as he wrote in his columns then that the parade of, of endless numbers of producers up to the stage to the, collect the Tony was something he had never seen before. But, but we, we all loved the show and it was such an honor to be part of it as my very first producing experience what gave you that courage to say here you were in banking for 19 years and you completely i mean i know it's there's a lot of finance and banking you know and i mean in a way right in theater you know we we want to think of the creative side of course but of course but it can't happen without the finance piece but what gave you that courage to say, you know what, I can make the shift? Well, my first love has always been music. When, yes. when I was younger and all the way through college, 
I studied classical piano and classical voice and toured in an acapella singing group. So I, ha I knew I had that creative side of my brain in addition to the analytical side, but so far I had just been using the analytical side. I, I so very much wanted to get back to the creative side. And in addition to that, that's when the spirituality classes came in and gave me the courage to, to go forward with this. I did a lot of, of, of lessons that in, mostly involved energy, and energy obviously is the, at the absolute core of everything in the world, but I learned to be a Reiki master. Uh, I took some bodywork lessons. Uh, I became an ordained minister. Uh, a counselor. I studied with a shaman who involved most of his studies with being outdoors in nature. And as a result of that, it grounded myself and made me more calm. But in addition, it allowed me to remove the focus from just thinking about my personal situation because I was able to go out and be a suicide prevention counselor at the Trevor Project, or teach teach a group of students at the Hedrick Martin Institute how to do interviews to get a summer job, or work at walk-in counseling centers that involved the gay community that were in various states of, of not being accepted as they should be in the world. So, so I think it was a combination of of knowing that my true love was music and that was part of me. And then also the spirituality time that I, that I spent that, that, that gave me so much more calm in what I was doing. And, and I guess you could say courage, but mm -hmm. I didn't feel courageous at the time. I just felt that I was moving toward what I was meant to do. That's what it felt like. That's that's so beautiful. You know, what's fascinating about the book is that it's not a how to become a producer. Oh. You know, maybe a chapter to you know you you don't devote the whole book on your producing life, and it's yet it's it's very impactful when you talk about how you made the shift. Um, so to producing, what would you like people to know about the book? The reason I didn't wanted to be a how you produce book was that my intention was the opposite of talking about my career in Broadway. And, and I feel fortunate to have been recognized for some of those works and to have been part of it. But my, my goal was actually to inspire a lot of other people that have their own monumental health challenges or, other, or whatever other crises were in their lives. You know, COVID obviously has been a major factor and still is. I wanted them to hopefully find inspiration of their own. And my way of doing it was through finding my passion and devoting my life to something that brought me happiness. And I was hoping that that message would resonate with them and and, and cause some of them to approach their lives in a slightly different manner. 
Yeah, that's really that's really beautiful to get because here you are living for decades, you know, where you didn't think you were going to. And uh, it's such a beautiful story of perseverance and following, you know, listening to your heart. Um, and and um, what was one of the first shows you ever saw? I know you grew up in the Midwest. You went to Denison. Um, then you came east. Um but what uh, what was one of the first shows that really had an impact on you? That one I know immediately yeah. had the most impact. It was seeing Bernadette Peters and Mandy Potamkin in Sunday in the Park with George in oh. I think it was 1985 or some somewhere around there. Yeah. And yeah. I happened to be sitting in the second row of the orchestra. In fact, I was so close that Mandy Potemkin spat on me at one point. <laughs> but, but, um, but I thought that was a badge of honor that being spat on by such a brilliant performer. But the show was a true development of art. You know, and actually the story was about developing art because they ultimately created the Surat painting. But everything about it, I loved the songs I was seeing two master actors you'll do a master craft in acting um, and I'll never I'll never forget that show it's still one of my five favorite musicals to this day you know 35 plus years later I just read uh, James Lapine's beautiful book about the creation of that show called right. Putting It Together. And I love the full circle-ness of that, that that was your first show. And here, all these years later, you produce company. I know, I know. I, <laughs> you know, I love, I love the show company and, 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 and I love the changes that, that um, Marianne Elliott in, in actually speaking with Stephen Sondheim, right before he sadly passed away, the, the major changes that that they both agreed on and thought would be an exciting way to bring back the show. So, so it was especially important to me after uh, the the death of of Stephen Sondheim to to have known that he endorsed the show and went to the some of the previews. And absolutely loved it. You know, it was so exciting to be in that moment. It didn't last as long as we would have liked, obviously, but it's a you know, it's not an easy time for for Broadway right now still. Yeah, hopefully it'll it'll get improved, you know, as right. we right. Yeah, as people feel safer coming back and things improve in the world and um because now more than ever, we need theater. For people who might not know what a lead producer does, would you mind explaining that, what your role is? Sure. Um, the, the most recent show where I was a lead producer was the Tracy Let's Play, The Minutes, uh, that was in oh, this, this last season. Very, gorgeous very fascinating story because it appeared on the surface to be a comedy for the first hour of the show with these fairly bizarre types that are 
part of city council and it reminds you maybe of the small towns that you grew up in. And then in the last 15 to 30 minutes, it gets very dark. And Tracy, in some interviews, especially at the end of the run, said it literally was a show about fascism. That's what he intended it to be reflecting in the, in the current world. So I was a lead producer with, with three others. And the, the lead producer is kind of the ultimate decision maker on the, on the show. You develop a team of co-producers that, that have a, certainly have a voice and have a role within the show. But the lead producers hire everyone involved, the director, the, the creative team. Um, they're involved, obviously, in the casting. Uh, they're having meetings with the press the press agency that you hired were having meetings with the advertising firm. Uh, so you're, you're involved in every single element of the production. You have final approval along with the, with the author on the script because during, during rehearsals, you're continually adapting right up until usually four days before where you freeze the show. And then this was a, this was a show that had a controversial ending, uh, and a lot of people were completely shocked by it. So, so for example, a lot of the discussions we had were what exactly should the ending be? You know, how, mm. how shocking should it be? And we arrived at a compromise on that. But, but all of those things are part of what the lead producers do. And, and along the way, once the show opens, you're continuing to have all those strategic meetings about discovering who your demographic is for the show and figuring out whether we've reached them in the most effective way and continuing to put out press about the show uh, uh, you know, to let people know this is the reaction that other people have had to it. And and if people are having conversations about it on on the internet, you'll bring those up on social media so you can see that this is a show that that you should see because a lot of people are thinking that it's had a major impact on them. So that that's part of what a lead, lead producer does. That's extraordinary that so many of the spokes come back to you in the wheel, you know, and as an aside. I actually got to interview Tracy about the minutes and he, I asked him about, you know, this darkness in the play without giving too much away. Um, and he said, and I never forgot this, that for him, it, one of the inspirations was Frankenstein, the story of Frankenstein uh. and thinking of the townspeople who decide to destroy the monster. Right. And he thought, who are those townspeople who decided to destroy the monster? And I, I love that description of it, that that's how he got inspired. Um, He's a brilliant writer. He's had He's such so an amazing brilliant. career. And the Steppenwolf yeah. Company is, is one of the best. Yes. It, yes. I love everything he puts out. And I love that he was in it. I, I know that he also talked about he originally wasn't going to be in the show that he didn't want to be in the show and then it was transforming to him and 
an extraordinary. He had an enormous impact both before the show and during the show and during the run, along with Anna Shapiro. They, I mean, they really became became huge decision makers and and have have having really meaningful discussions about what people were seeing and how they were reacting to it. So I'm really glad he was, he was not only the writer, but a major lead actor in it and, and kind of a kind, kind of a assistant director, almost in a, in a way he had a major role. Uh, and what an ensemble that was, but I love your choices. You know, these, these eclectic pieces you do from Town to company to, yeah, all the when I think about oh my God, angels in America, you know, my goodness, um, such incredible works. Um, I know people look for a story. Well, what can you talk about specifically? What you look for in a piece to produce? Well, obviously, you, you use the magic word. Story is the most important. Even if it's a musical, there needs to be an incredible story within it. So with with plays, I look for something that I think is going to have a transforming impact on audiences that while they watch it for the two to three hours that we have their attention, they're sitting in rapt amazement or, or concentration they find something in the show that may make them think about how they do things or about life in a different manner. It's a show that they're so intrigued by that they want to have conversations with other people afterwards. But it's a story that when you leave, you feel as though you've been changed in some way. With musicals, when I'm looking at those, I like musicals that are more intimate uh, that have small casts, sometimes only have one set. And and examples of shows that, that really drew me were Hades Town, The Band's Visit, which had this incredible message of, of cultural unity between between Israelis and and Arabs that that accepted each other over one night of being together, or a show that I wasn't a producer on that I wish I had been, such as Once, which the score was so beautiful. I could listen to it over and over again, but but I prefer those types of musicals that still have a story, are small, so you feel as though you're almost part of this little scene happening in front of you and have glorious music. Yeah. Oh, that's what I, I think about company and the set, you know, that they're all that they're in the one room. That's like, right. like, like Alice in Wonderland, you know, in that right. <laughs> getting smaller and smaller, the room, you know, talking about intimacy, quite literally. <laughs> definitely set it up for them to be, to be packed together. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, yeah. And, I love also that now you're involved in film. Do you want to talk about that, that you're venturing out into making films? Sure. I, I like to always be learning something new. And a really good friend of mine came to me, I think it was seven or eight years ago, 
and asked if I wanted to do film films with him. We decided to form a company named Dominion Pictures and have been doing feature films ever since then. Nowhere near to the to the number compared to the number of Broadway shows that I'm doing, but but we did a a wonderful uh, film called Wakefield with Brian Cranston, and I had the privilege of working with Brian on All the Way and Network. So we're besides him being a brilliant actor, he is the most kind and generous and funny person that I've ever had the pleasure to work with, and to get three chances at it was amazing but but this was this was an indie film that was a little bit quirky and we shot it in Pasadena uh, film is obviously the exact opposite in some ways of theater where theater you have a really long out of town trial or in time in town trial or not for profit trial rehearsals and you a preview period and you finally get to the show which is constantly evolving as it continues its run on Broadway and it's different every night the interactions between the actors may be different the audience may be having an impact on the show in a slightly different way with film you take the script and you immediately dive into it on set and obviously you're taking pieces of it, of it at a time every day, but you're trying to create through multiple takes sometimes in that one month or, or however long you're, you're filming it to create the perfect version of the script that, that we think we can, which is done through the editing process also. But then it's, it's there, it's permanent. And it never changes again. So it's a completely different process. I love both of them, probably theater more. Uh, I just recently, uh, along with, with another um, friend who's an incredible producer, shot a film in Kentucky that's, that's called The Nano Project. And it's a very funny mockumentary film, such as Best in Show. Starring Mercedes Rule as Nana, I completely adore her, and Nolan Gould is one of her grandsons, and they're living in Timeless Acres retirement home, along with all these incredible cameo actors that live in the home, such as Morgan Fairchild and Charlene Hilton, and uh, Tony Todd, and the the list of people that will be recognized immediately when they come on. Margaret Avery was wonderful. And it's, I, I hope, I, I think it's very funny, but it also has a heartwarming family reconciliation story because Nana figures out a way to get her estranged grandsons to reconcile at the end. Oh, that's so, that's so wonderful. What a phenomenal cast. Is it hard to describe what it's like for you when you hear it's such a it's like Sisyphus, you know, um, 
putting on the Broadway show, people don't realize it could take seven years or longer, you know, yeah. to get, especially a musical, you know, that you're rolling the boulder uphill and rolling the boulder uphill. <laughs> and, and, um, but what that's like for you when you see the marquee or you have the opening night or you're, you know, you got the sits probe, what is that like for you? It is such an incredible high. Uh, it's a, a natural high that is, it's really hard to describe, uh, you're sitting there watching all the hard work that this enormous number of people put in appear before your eyes on, on opening night with with a, an audience that's cheering wildly because a lot of them are, are investors or are connected to the show in one way or another. And... And, and I guess the first time you do the show in an opening night, it's a little bit more of a surprise to everyone because it's the first time they're doing it, quote, for real. And yeah. I think my, my favorite, if I have to name a favorite of every show I've been involved with, and, and this fits right into the, the high that even to this day still remains was Hair, the, the revival of Hair. And, and the reason I loved it is that obviously it's a, it's a musical with incredible music that everyone knows the music, but it's a, it's a musical about peace and self-expression and acceptance and, and being true to yourself and the power of love. What they had somehow achieved was that they had, they had hired a cast of people who in their real lives were exactly the same type of people. They, they personified all of those factors that they were portraying in the show. So we called ourselves the tribe. The tribe included the cast, the crew, the orchestra, the creative team, and the producers. And, and you know everyone involved with the show were part of the tribe. We hung out together a lot outside the show and formed this incredible bond that exists to this day. We still, when we're writing on our Facebook post, talk about um, fellow tribe members and try to support each other in, in what we're all doing now. So that's, that's just an example of, of an opening night that I, I was almost overwhelmed with happiness, just pure happiness. I remember the joy of that show. I remember they performed in Times Square on New Year's and I was in Times Square uh, covering it as a reporter and it was it was like an out-of-body experience seeing them on a platform performing was it uh, yeah let the sun shine in oh my gosh. That. it was so spectacular I mean it was magical I love seeing that obviously in in the park I saw it and then I saw it when it moved to Broadway and because I always wish that I saw it when it was here, you know, originally, and uh, with a special show. Um, well, Carl, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, and congratulations on your book. Well, thank you so much for having me, and it's, it's really been a lot of fun speaking with you. It's been great talking with you, and I'm excited to see what comes next out of your <laughs> reservoir <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> we won't see. I'm not sure either. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore. This episode was produced by Anna Stroud. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.